That is, huh? Just think, that's the group, that's the church right there. That's the future of our church. All right, let's stand here this, this uh, morning and let's read chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. And uh, we want to preach on the reprobates in the last day. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and let captive silly women laden with sins led away with divers lust, ever learning and never, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all, as theirs also was. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Thank you for the reading this morning of Ephesians chapter 1. We thank you, Lord, for the comments about it, and we thank you for the singing. We thank you for those that have come this morning to hear God's word. We pray that, Lord, that we'd give to them what you've given to us. God, may it be given in love and in compassion. Father, with power and authority, with conviction. Father, may you anoint us with the Spirit of God. Will you remove any flesh nor carnality? Uh, God, any performance and entertainment this morning. God, we're just looking to preach the Word of God by the demonstration of the Holy Ghost of God. Father, we're looking to see, dear God, that it would penetrate the hearts of men and women. God, that those that are here this morning may leave. Dear God, either saved, uh, Father, either uh, encouraged, God, ready to live for God and having the understanding of these last days and what it might look like. God, help us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. And so we find in verse 1, we preached this, this last Sunday morning and Sunday night, but we're going to just briefly just tell you a little bit about what we've already preached. We talked about the prophecy. What we see in chapter 3, verse 1, is Paul is telling Timothy, the church, about a future event, about a future time called the last days. We find that there in verse 1. We find in the last days, according to Paul, He's speaking, now you've got to get this or you miss the whole mindset of what Paul's trying to say. Paul is telling the true church, the practicing church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's telling them about a time called the last days that will be perilous. Now the word perilous quickly means difficult, means dangerous, it means depressing, it means demonic. It means downgrading, and it means a time of degrading. And so we find that the word actually means perilous, means reducing of time or reducing of strength. It means it's going to be hard to accept, hard to look at, hard to approach, and hard to bear. And so what Paul was saying is, and to get to the context of the Scripture, is he's saying to the true church through Timothy that the true church is going to look at the church in the last days 
and the church is going to look perilous. It reminds me, if you remember, of that the ten virgins. You remember that story? The ten virgins. Now, the ten virgins in context is that the, the, the wedding is about to take place. The groom is on his way. And when the groom would show up, there would be ten virgins with oil and ten virgins without oil. And it's representing the time when Jesus comes back and his church. And it looks like there's 50% of his church that has oil, the Holy Ghost of God, and 50% of his church that don't have oil. He's talking about the same time here. He's saying that in the last days uh, to the true church, to the church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at the church as enlarged as a whole in the world today, we're going to have perilousness in our hearts. It's going to be hard to look at. It's going to be hard to bear. It's going to be hard to take. We find not only the prophecy, but we have found out the very picture that Paul was trying to make. You say, how do you know that Paul's talking about uh, the church? And he's talking to professed Christians or professed church versus the practicing church. Well, there's four ways we know. Number one, he mentions the lovers of God in verse 4. And we know that the lovers of God are in church. All right, they're believers, they're Christians. He also mentions uh, godliness in verse 5. We also understand that, that that's where godliness is in the church or it's amongst the church, it's believers, it's followers. He mentions number 3, truth in verse 7. We follow that truth is in God. Truth is in the Word of God. We also notice that he mentions uh, faith right there in verse 8. He says concerning the faith. And with that being said, he is talking about uh, people in the church. Now today, as it was that day, there's two types of people today in the church. There are professing Christians. And what professing Christians are is Christians who, who, who say they're Christians, but they don't act like Christians. They are professing Christians that they believe, uh, but they don't behave accordingly to the Scripture. They are Christians that give God lip service, but their life service is not equal to the lip service. There are people who have much words to say, but their works are different. We find that there's many people in the church today, maybe 50%, that say they were saved when they were young. They say they've been baptized. They say that, that Jesus is their Lord. They say that they're a follower of Jesus, but it's no proof in their life. There's no evidence. There's no manifestation of that. They live contrary to what the God says. They live opposite of who they say they are. And so those are professed Christians. Those are the ones he's about to describe that's going to bring a perilousness into the hearts of those that we call practicing Christians. Practicing Christians are those who believe and behave according to what they believe. They say one thing and they do what they say. Uh, they are ones who actually only love the Lord, but they live for the Lord. Uh, they are ones today who not only those who have faith in God, but they follow God. 
And so we have two different ones. Paul speaking to the practicing Christians and saying in the last days this is what the church is going to look like and it's going to be full of people, maybe 50% of just professing Christians. And so we see that picture that Paul has built here. We see number three. He talks about now the people, the professed church. And he calls the professed church reprobates. We see that there in verse 8. He said reprobate concerning the faith. And everything above verse 8 is describing the church in the last days when they're full of people or at least 50% of the people is reprobates. And so you say, where are the reprobates in life today? Well, according to Paul, in this message, they're in the church. They're in the church. See, you can't make a profession of Jesus Christ and practice a life of unchristianity. You can't say you're going to heaven and look and sound and smell like you're going to hell. And so we find here this morning a very clear picture of the people. and We're not going to go all through that we did last time, but I began with uh, verse 2, and it was the practices of the reprobate's heart. The heart of the reprobate. So what are the practices of the reprobate's heart? We'll look in verse 2. For men shall be lovers of self, of their own self. Now who are they that are lovers of their own self? Those that are in the church. They love themselves. Uh, what would that mean? That would mean selfishness. That would mean uh, this morning of a self-love. It means self-rule. It means self-will. It means self-centered, self-seeking, self-absorbed, absorbed, self-acceptance, self-satisfaction, self-justification, self-worship, and self-awareness. That's what it would mean this morning that the people who are reprobates, the Bible calls that Timothy, Paul was telling Timothy in the last days where the church is going to be full of, that's going to bring perilousness, is the people are just lovers of themselves. And they call themselves Christians. What went along with the lovers of self is covetous. We find that the next word. Covetous means the lovers of things. What cause when you become a lover of yourself, you become a lover of a thing, then you become a boaster. Right? You go around bragging about it. You go around bragging your muscles, how big they are. You go around bragging about how hair. You go around bragging about the car you've got and the job you've got and the money you've got. You go around bragging about the wife and the children. You're just a braggart. And we find what goes along after being lovers of self and lovers of things, you become a boaster. But thirdly, you become proud. You think you're bigger than all. You think you're bigger than life. You think that if it wasn't for you, the church would fall. If it wasn't for you, your home would just go up in the air. If it wasn't for you, friend, life would stop. The world would crash. You're just full of yourself. We find what goes along with self and covetous and boasters and proud is blasphemers, which means people who are speaking evil of other people. Slanders are those that are abusive. In other words, it goes ghetto. When you love yourself, you love things. And then you become a boaster and you're proud and you're a blasphemer because you're talking about everybody else. 
Everybody else isn't what you are. Everybody else can't do what you do. Everybody else can't do as good as you do. Everybody else isn't as you are. And look at me, a father, a husband, a mother, a wife. Man, I'm telling you, man, I got the whole world by its tail. Everybody else I feel sorry for because they don't have my life. They don't have what I've got. They don't have the smarts. They ain't got the money. They ain't got the skill. They ain't got the, the abilities. They ain't got the capabilities. And Paul was telling Timothy in the last days before Jesus comes, this is what the church is going to be full of. Of these reprobates. That's perilous, isn't it? If you want to hear about all the rest, you've got to go back into the archives. We moved on and we began to talk about not only uh, the very facts about practices of the reprobate's heart, which was that, but we began to talk about the practices of the reprobate's home. And so for every person in here this morning, you represent a home. And in that home, if you are a so-called Christian or professed Christian, then I would think you'd have a Christian home. I would think that your home would represent Christ. It would represent the biblical precepts and it would represent the things of God. And so what Paul is saying in the, within the church, within the homes of the church, the reprobate's homes, it's going to look like this and it begins off with this, disobedient to parents. And that is very much a reprobate, uh, friend, who's disobedient to your parents. Can I say this this morning before we go any further in this? We're not going to talk too much. We already did this already. But listen, for you that have small little babies and you that has a one-year-old and you that maybe has a two-year-old, the time of rules is now. Amen. The, the time that you give your children the, the most rules, when you give them the shortest rope, right. you give them the heaviest hit, you give them the strictest time is when they're one years old. That's right. Man, you are hammering on them. You, they can't do nothing. Uh, they can't walk right. They can't talk right. They can't do right. I mean, Fred, listen, you are on them and you're talking to them and telling them and correcting them. You say, oh, I can't do that to my poor little baby. I can't do that to my poor little child. Yeah, you're going to raise up a disobedient child. That's what you're going to do. So when you get them little and they're small and you're just hammering, 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 when they get around nine or ten years old, you, can, you don't have to have that many more rules. That's right. You can kind of ease up a little bit. They got it. Yes, sir. And when they get 19 or 18 and 19, Fred, uh, you can let lesser rules. Because right. they got Now what happens is, is most Christian homes, uh, uh, they don't even whip their children. They don't raise a voice at them. Uh, they don't even uh, correct them at the one-year-old, two-year-old, and three-years-old. In most homes that are called Christian homes, your three-year-old is running the home. It's telling you what to do. It's letting you know when they're going to bed and what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear and what they're going to play with. And we call that a Christian home? Paul said, no, nah. but in the days before Jesus comes, the so-called Christian homes are going to have disobedient children. Yes, sir. The reason why is because the parents are disobedient. They're not following God's word. They're not following what God said to do in the way of taking your children and raising them up. 
Uh, you're doing it your way. You're doing it the way you want to. Maybe the way you grew up. Or the, maybe the way that you read on the internet. Or maybe it's your grandma or your grandpa. Listen, all of that information is dung. The only information that has power and has authority is the information of God's Word. Amen. Amen. And so we find in the last days, disobedient to parents will be running wild. But not in the world. Not in society. Not in all the earth. But in the church. In the church. That's why it's perilous. That's why Paul says it's hard to bear, it's hard to see, it's hard to look at. We find today, and for you children, and if you're a child and you're in the home this morning, uh, guess what? Your parents is the authority of the home. Amen. Amen. Your parents is the one who says how it goes. It says how the cabbage, how the cow eats the cabbage. He tells you when you come home. He tells you when to go, when go away. He tells you how to live. He tells you what you can drive. He tells you what you can eat. He'll tell you how to comb your hair. He'll tell you how long your hair is going to be. He'll tell you, friend, what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to do it. If you don't like that, dear child, find you another home to go to. That's right. Amen, Brother Larry. In the last days in which we live, we got children, we got young adults in the home fighting with the father and the mother, telling the father and the mother how to raise his, their children and telling them how to run their home this morning. I'm telling you, friend, you're a reprobate child. Friend, what you ought to be doing it's falling down on your face before a holy thrice God and thanking your dumb mom and daddy that they're giving you rules and giving you stre- times that you can come in and times you can go and trying to make you a functional Amen. Christian as you grow up. That's right. You have no business, child, young man, young woman. If you're an adult today and you live in the parents' home, Fred, you've got no word, you've got no say, and you've got no right. I know I don't, I'm not very popular right now. But you know what? I'm not looking for popularity. I'm not even looking for a friend. I'm looking to preach the Word of God. And in the last days, friend, it is this day when a lot of 30s and 40s are coming back home. Hey, it's all over the country, all over the world. And when they get back home, they think they now have the authority over the mom and the daddy in the home. But baby, I'm telling you, friend, you ain't got no authority. The only right you got is to obey what they say. The only right you got is to be quiet and do what they ask you to do. Amen. If not, you'll just reprobate. Mm-hmm. All right, I got to move on. So we preached on that. We preached on the practices of reprobates in the home was the haters of authority. We preached on that whenever there's disobedience, after disobedience comes unthankfulness. Look at you. You see it as it goes down the line here. Disobedience to parents, unthankful. Every disobedient child I know is unthankful. They're not thankful for their father, not thankful for their mother, not thankful for the place they live, the food they get. They're not thankful for the clothes they wear, not thankful for the shoes they have. They're not thankful for the the medical attention they get. They're not thankful for even the comb that combs their hair. They're not thankful for even the deodorant that's placed under their arms. Unthankful, disobedient to parents are unthankful. Number two, not only does it come unthankful, but it comes unholy. 
They're not interested in God's authority. They're not reverence towards God's person. And they're not submission to God's word. Friend, they're unholy. So every disobedient child in this room, you're unthankful and you're unholy. You're just wicked. You're sinful and you're evil. We find this morning the fourth thing that we see according to the script. Now I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me this morning. It says... Without natural affection. And we find this morning uh, that within the home uh, we see a lot of without natural affection. It's natural that parents love children. It's natural that that children love parents. But in the last days you're going to see children hating parents. Cussing parents out. Hitting parents. Jumping on parents. Uh, coming together with other siblings to go against the parents. Friend, that's the last days. And where's it taking place? In the church. Perilous. So we find uh, without natural affection. We find without natural affection includes truce breakers. We see that there in verse 3. Truce breakers is one who makes a promise and not intending to keep. Not obligated to keep any promise. No promise is guaranteed. And so we got in our Christian so-called homes in the last day when moms are making promises to children they're not keeping and promises that are made by the parents to the children are not keeping and the children's promises to the parents are not being kept. What you are is a truce breaker. When you tell your parents that you're going to go clean your home, go clean your room like they ask you to, and you don't do it, you're a truce breaker. Amen. And when a parent says they're going to take you out to get an ice cream uh, on Saturday because you have been good or because you did this, you did that, Saturday comes and they don't take you to get ice cream, Fred, they are a truce breaker. Amen. When a spouse says to a spouse, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to take care of this, and they don't do it, you're a truce breaker. Breaker, and the Bible says in the last days there's going to be truce breakers in the home. Now, I think we preached up to that point. I know if you've been here before, you're saying, Brother, I'm just getting a rerun. It's a rerun for me, too. (laughs) I'm really trying to run. When you find a truce breakers, it includes false accusers. In verse 3, we find that after truce breakers is false accusers. Now, what's false accusers? False accusers are those that are lying about others in the family. That's what a, that's what a, a false accuser would be. For example, a child will run up to a parent and say, Hey, the sibling, a, mo- a brother or sister said this, did that, and they really didn't say that or do that. You're just saying that they said to do that, and now you're trying to get them in trouble for him. What you are is a truce breaker, and what you are is an accuser, a false right. accuser. Right. And that's going on in homes all the time. Yes, it is. Just accusing of false things. Wife accusing the husband. Husband accusing the wife. The children accusing the children. The children accusing the mother and the daddy. And the daddy accusing the children. It's just a round circle round. Everybody's just false accusing about things of the family. Am I telling the truth? We find this morning that word would mean slandering the name of a character of the family. Like telling your friends how bad your daddy is. Telling your, your 
friends how bad your mom is or telling somebody about someone in your family uh, that is a slander. Hey, this word here is diabolical. It's the same word we get our word devil from and that's what the devil is. So if you want to be a devil in the home, well, keep on, friend, saying false things because that's what devils do. We find this morning it means striving to ruin the life of others. And it's sad this morning that we have families and inside the families they're striving to ruin the reputation or the name of their family. It ought to be this morning when you walk out of your home and walk into the world and walk into the church and walk into the school and walk into the work. Friend, that daddy's name that's planted on the end of your name, like my name is Larry Lafonier, and when I walk out into the world, I've got to represent Lafonier. Where did I get that from? I got that from my daddy, and I've got, got to go out in this world and represent his name well. And you are being a false accuser and trying to break down the name. Trying to tell the whole world how bad your home is and trying to tell the whole world how sorry your daddy and mommy is and how bad you've got it and, and how awful that it is. It's like a prison camp. It's like a torture camp. It's like, friend, I'm telling you, if you come live with me for one week, you'll see how bad it is in my life. And you're a reprobate. We find this morning... What goes along with this truce breaker and this false accuser? We see the word incontinent. Incontinent. What does that mean this morning in the home? It means that there's people in the home that are powerless over actions. Incontinent means powerless over actions. Without self-control of behaviors. Without strength to govern appetites. In other words, what I'm saying, I'm talking about in Christians' homes. In Christians' homes, them homes are people that have no control over their mouth. They've got no restraint over their appetites. And they're out of control. They get angry fast. They get angry hastily. And they say things, they do things, and they become very violent. They become very, uh, very evil. They become a disruption of the home. Uh, they put separation and division because they are incontinent. Right. That's right. Amen. It ought to be the older children in the home that's supporting the mom and daddy for the younger children so the home can be a home that brings forth Christ. Amen. Not that the olders is feeding the youngers and tucking the olders and the attitude to say, do this and do that. And you ought to be the example of Christ's likeness rather than the devil. That's right. We find this morning in the homes of so-called Christians, Paul said in the last days, they're going to be incontinent. Oh, powerless. Incontinent. They're going to be powerless over their actions. You ask your children, why you do that? I don't know. Why you keep on acting up? Can you not talk like that anymore? Can you say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am? Can you say thank you and please? Why do I have to constantly tell you, time in, time out, to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am? What's wrong with you? I just got no power. I just allow my flesh. I just allow me. I just, you're reprobate. 
we find not only incontinent, but then the word fierce. The word fierce today, as you look at it, as we're talking about the home. Fierce. What does that mean? That means wild. Wild. Untamed. Uncontrolled. Harsh. Rough. Cruel. Friend, Paul said in the last days before Jesus comes, our homes, church homes, Christian homes, are going to be full of people who are just unwild or untamed wild people. They're harsh, they're cruel. I mean, they don't care if they hurt somebody. They don't care if they divide the home. They don't care if they disdain the name of their parents. They don't care if they dishonor the church. They don't care, Fred, if they disgrace the name of Jesus. They're fierce, untamed. Anybody ever call you wild? That's not very good. Wild. Can't control him. If I was a child, I'd go up to my daddy and mama today, and I'd ask them, mom and daddy, I'm kind of concerned if I'm a reprobate or not. Can I ask you a few questions? And mom and daddy would be glad to answer the questions. And my first question would be, am I, am I, am I wild? Am I untamed? The Bible said I'd be fierce. Am I that? Am I a false accuser? Am I one uh, that is what this Bible says that I am? Am I incontinent? Won't you do that? Won't you do that? If you're a child and you live in the home and you're within the home, here between church in just a moment, won't you ask them questions? Take the Bible, open it, 2 Timothy chapter 3, begin to read those verses I, I just spoke of and go, am I disobedient, Daddy? Am I disobedient? Am I this? Am I that? Am I this? Do you really want to know? You probably won't do this. You probably ain't going to do this when you get home. You know why? Because you don't want to know. You don't want to allow the Word of God, the truth, to describe you, manifest you, because when that happens, you've got a sentence on you. You're a reprobate. Who wants to be a reprobate? Well, rather, whether you want to be one or not, friend, if you meet these qualifications here, then you are one. So we found the practices of reprobates in the home. The practices of reprobates in the heart. And here thirdly this morning, I want you to look at the reprobates practices in the house of God. Now we talk about there's a third section here and it begins with despisers of those that are good. It changes from the home there to the church. So we find within this third category... We find practices of reprobates in the house of God. And the first one is this. They dislike the practicing Christians. They dislike practicing Christians. The Bible says in verse 3, despisers of those that are good. They don't care for the faithful. They don't connect with the righteous. And they don't communicate with the truth. All I'm saying is this, they're really despisers of those who really walk with God. And the house of God. They'll come to the church 
And they won't talk to these people. They won't have conversation with these people. Uh, they won't shake hands with these people. Uh, they won't have any kind of thing to do with these people. But they'll run to their own kind. Those that are despisers of those that are good. And they'll sit right there and they'll talk about those that are good. Those that are faithful, those that are righteous, those that are true, those that are doing right, those that are living right, and they'll make fun of them and they will, they will criticize them. They'll say, oh, they think they're all that. They come to church all the time. But you know what? Uh, this, this, that, bad them, and all this kind of nonsense. That's what people who are reprobates do in the house of God right. is they're despisers of those that are good. The closer you walk with God and the closer you become like Jesus and the more you become obedient to God's word, the more they despise you. Is that true? There were people today that are reprobates, practices in the house of God. We find number two, the other practice in the house of God, I notice, is they divide among the practicing Christians. Look at verse 4. The Bible says the first word is traitors. What is a traitor? Well, a traitor surrenders. A traitor betrays. A traitor is unloyal. Uh, They're unloyal with the things. Now remember now what we're talking about. We're talking about people who made professions of faith in their life. There are people that are in the church. We're not talking about apostasy here. Apostasy is people leaving the church. This is different. We're talking about people that are not leaving the church. They're still in the church, uh, but they're reprobates of the faith in the church. And so we're looking at them and we're looking about that and what Paul is trying to tell Timothy in the last days, what will be in the church, Timothy? Timothy and Paul, Paul said there will be traitors. For example, the Word of God. Now, these people used to believe these things. The Word of God says that we're saved by grace through faith. Amen. Now, if you believe that you're saved by works, you're a traitor. Right. If you believe we're saved by baptism, you're a traitor. If you believe that you're saved uh, by any other way except by grace through faith, you're a traitor. For one time you believed that, and now you don't believe that. You're a traitor. We take another one this morning. Uh, at one time, as a professed Christian, you said Jesus is God. Now you don't believe Jesus is God. You believe He's just a prophet. You believe He's a teacher. You believe He's a miracle worker. You believe a lot of things about Him, but you don't believe He's God. You know what you are? You're a traitor. Uh, there was those who believed, uh, for example, that there was a hell. And inside of hell there was fire. And inside the fire was torment. And in torments it was forever. You could not come out unless you get cast out into the lake of fire. You believe that, but now you don't believe that. You're a traitor. It may be going as well this morning as one who believes there's life after death. And when you became a professed Christian, you believed there was life after death, but now you say there's no life after death. You say when you die, you soul sleep. You say that you just kind of go in the grave and you wander off in the Mars. Uh, that there's nothing happening after death. You know what you are? You're a traitor. 
It may be in the fact, matter of fact, about being faithful to the church of, of the house of God. When you first made a profession of faith, you come. you come. You come to the house of God. You are faithful in the house of God. But now you don't believe being faithful to the house of God means much to you anymore. You don't believe that that's where it's at. You don't believe it's that important. You don't believe that's where it ought to be. You're a traitor. You're a traitor. You're a traitor this morning of believing that, for example, when you profess as a Christian, you believe uh, that fornication is sin. What is that? That means sex before marriage is sin. That means that you cannot live together with any man and any woman, right? And yet, today, professed Christians are living together. You know what they are? They're traitors. There was a time when you didn't believe that a married man and a married woman ought to have any sexual relationship outside of their marriage. And now, Fred, you find that you don't believe that anymore, that it's, it's okay. Fred, you're a traitor. The Bible says that there's a male and a female. If there's ever going to be a marriage, it's going to be between a male and a female. And you wouldn't believe how many professed Christians, professed churches today that accept homosexuality, accept sodomy, accept same-sex marriage, Hey, Fred, I'm going to tell you what you are. You are a traitor. There are those who believe as a profession Christian that whenever you're, you're conceived in the belly of the mother, in the womb of the mother, there is life. But friend, you say, well, I believe now that you can abort that baby after 12 weeks, 16 weeks, 18 weeks, right up to his birth. Friend, what you are is a traitor. Get in the picture. You women preachers, if you're a woman, you can't be a pastor of a church. No. I didn't set the rule. God set the rule. Right. There's so many churches today have women preachers. Uh-huh. You know what they are? They're traitors. Traitors. Yes. We find this morning all through the Scripture. The Bible says that he, uh, according to the Bible, about drinking, drinking wine or drinking alcohol or drinking uh, some sort of uh, a drink this morning, uh, that wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That's what the Proverbs 21 says. And there's Christians maybe in this room that does the tea toddler uh, drinks. He might do the little wine coolers. He might have a celebration of a birthday and drink some, spa- uh, drink some uh, uh, champagne. Uh, you might go to a wedding someplace and get in on, on that. You may go to a birthday party. You might be watching the Texans lose and drinking your beer and eating your barbecue. But friend, you say that you're a Christian. You say that Jesus Christ lives in your heart. You say that you're holy unto God. I say you're a traitor. Amen. And we can go all day long with all that I'm saying this morning. And Paul says at the end of the times, in the last days, that what I just mentioned to you and much more won't be about the world. It'll be about the church. And you see today the culture of the church today. Is it not changing? The King James Version Bible. I can't leave without saying something about that. The King James Version Bible, the Bible of English-speaking people, 
The Bible for 400 years has brought revivals and missions and has brought salvations and has changed lives. It has brought help and hope to millions of people. The King James Version Bible that's been inspired by God, preserved by God and published by God. The King James Version Bible, friend, that is the Bible of truth that's been given to man by God. And Fred, if you got any other version, you know what you are? You can say it. Traitor. Traitor. The songs of the hymns that we sing. There are men and women who died for Christ living for Jesus back in the 1800s and 1900s, even down deep into the 1700s that wrote those hymns and give us the hymns that are based upon the Word of God that exalt and lift up and brings a magnification unto the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings a worship. We've got churches today that has abandoned them. You know what that is? Traitor. Traitor. Amen. I can't ever get through. There's so much. We find number three. Neither they dislike the practicing Christians, despisers of those that are good. They divide among the practicing Christians because they become traitors. They do anything without practicing Christians. That word heady there, you know what that means this morning? It means crazy. It means hasty. You ever been with somebody? It means reckless and daring. Uh, it means uh, sinful and immoral. It means uh, uh, falling forward is the actual Greek meaning there. Uh, it means that, have you ever been around somebody uh, that well, means when you're school or maybe in your family and, and that individual, man, they're just crazy. They'll go a thousand miles an hour. They'll jump over a big deal. They'll, they'll, they'll do anything. I mean, you say, wow, I can't believe he's crazy. He's going to die early, that guy there. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All of us probably know somebody like that. Sure. Well, you put it in the spiritual realm. And Paul's saying that in the last days, the church will be people, will be heady. Uh-huh. They'll be just crazy. Yeah. I mean, they'll be hasty to do anything. They're here. They're there. They do this. They make decisions. Everything's just, it's like there's nothing at all that has any stability or soundness. They're all over the place. You say, man, you're crazy. Why do you do such things like that? Well, you know, I can because I'm saved. I can because I'm a child of God. How can you go out there and take a hole and don't, don't come to church for a whole month and you, you say, well, I just go out there into the woods. How can you just uh, take this and do that and be with them and act like that? Well, you know what? It's just life. I'm just having a good time. Just crazy. That's what the word heady means. But along with heady, it's high-minded. Because the ones who are heady, who just do anything and everything, without control, without any type of uh, uh, without any type of pulse, you'll find that they are just proud of it. They're high-minded. They 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 are ones who inflate themselves with conceit. They like those things where you go to some place and you do some things and the church says, man, I, that guy right there, he's nuts. He likes that. That feeds in his psyche. I mean, that gets this so-called Christian professed reprobate. It gets him doing more crazy things. High-minded. Heady. Now, isn't this perilous? 
We find, fourthly, verse 4, they are driven unlike practicing Christians. Verse 4, the Bible says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They are driven. The people that are reprobates in the church today are driven by pleasure. Those this morning are just professed Christians. Yes, they made a profession of faith. Yes, they've been baptized. Yes, they've been joining of a church. And yes, they come to church. And yet, at the same time, friend, all they are is professors and not practicers. They're professors, not possessors of Christ. And all they really are about is pleasures. They are driven by pleasures. That word lovers of pleasures means they are committed to pleasure. If you'd ask them, you want to go to the Astros game or you want to go to church? You ask me that. Would you rather go and out to eat or go to prayer meeting? Would you rather go fishing or go out knocking doors and telling people about Jesus Christ on Saturday? Would you rather stay home and watch the football games tonight or come to the house of God to hear more of the Word of God? What are you driven by? What's driving you? Well, you don't understand, bro. I work all week. I work Monday through Friday. A lot of times on Saturday. I get to Sunday... I give God Sunday morning. I give them that. Sunday night, it's my time. I'm sitting up in the chair. I've got my iced tea. I've got my wife. She's fixing me something good to eat. We're going to watch them football games. We're going to watch all those guys. and We're just going to enjoy the evening called family time. And we're going to relax and get ready for Monday. Like Monday something we never got to before. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be driven by my pleasures rather than lovers of God. The question this morning is this, is where would God want you to be at tonight? The other question to follow that is where do you want to be at tonight? So it will tell you that you'll follow what you, where you want to be tonight to be a lover of pleasure rather than what God wants you to be is a lover of God. You said, Brother Larry, you kind of put me in a bind. Good. You see, you put me in a corner. Perfect. You say, why are you doing that? I'm just giving you the truth. In the last days... That's why we have churches today, and we hope you, hope you can take this. There's, that's why there's churches today, the majority of churches today, and you could check this out if you would really want to know, is the majority of churches today just have Sunday morning uh, services. That's all. Well, do you know why? A hundred years ago, there wasn't like that. Two hundred years ago, it wasn't like that. It's like that now. You know why? We're in the last days. What's going to happen in the last days? Well, the church is going to be perilous. Like what? Like people will be more lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Well, how can you manifest that? Well, you can manifest it by coming to church. And so churches today who have, say, let's say 100 Sunday morning, usually have 
50 Sunday night and 30 on Wednesday night. So the leadership of that, of that church says this. You know what? We have 100 Sunday morning, 50 Sunday night, 30 on Wednesday night. Let's just cut out Wednesday night. I mean, majority of the people are not coming. Evidently, they're not interested in it. Evidently, they're just not that much into it. And so let's not bring anything on them. Let's not bring a burden upon them. Let's not cause any waves with anybody. We don't want to make nobody mad. We don't want to make anybody upset. And so let's just drop off the Wednesday night and just, just have Sunday morning and Sunday night. They do that for a little while and nothing changes on Sunday night. They say, well, I'll tell you what we ought to do then. Let's just have Sunday morning. And then Sunday morning we'll have a big huge group Then everybody else can take family time Sunday night and take work time Wednesday night. And you know what? We can just come back Sunday morning. Everybody's refreshed. The question is this morning is we don't need refreshing. We need reviving. Amen. And when there's revival... There's life. And when there's life, there's faithfulness. And when there's faithfulness, there's glory. And when there's glory, God comes. The Bible don't tell us to get less. The Bible don't tell us to do less more than what we're doing. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, it says more. We should be having church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If we're serious about these last days, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Seems like my watch has stopped. We find that that word lovers of pleasures not only means they are committed to pleasures, but they are controlled by pleasures. It means they are comfortable with pleasures. In other words, pleasure is more delightful than God. Pleasure is more important than God and pleasure is more valuable than God. The professed church in the last days, they will have less church and more pleasure. They will have less preaching and more entertainment. And they will have less Bible and more fun. That's the church in the last days. Now, if you're in that church, I'd leave. If I was in a church that does this, today would be my last attending of the church. The church that has less church and more pleasure, less preaching and more entertainment, and less Bible and more fun. That's the church that Paul's describing in the last days. I hope you can see it this morning. I hope today you see reprobates that are in the church. We say this morning, fifthly and lastly, and we'll close with this, they are different than the practicing Christians. The professed Christians are different than the practicing Christians. How so, Brother Larry? Well, here in this next verse. Having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. They professed Christian. The church is a place. For the professed Christian, the church is a place. For example, this church here, it has a building. They call it the church. 
It has furniture, the pews, the pulpit, call it the church. It has functions. We sing, we teach, we give, we do functions. We call it the church. And professed Christians think in their mind that if they can just get to the place at least one time a week, it's good. It's perfecto. That's good for me. It's good for my family. It's good for our country. It's good for our city. It's good for our community. It's good for our church. If I can get there one, one time. If I can get there. Because see, to them, the professed Christian, to them, the church is the place. And it's all about just getting here, coming here, giving ties here, Singing here, doing here, and that's their whole focus is here. Just come to the church. Because out of here, there ain't no church about them. There ain't nothing to churchy about them. They, they don't talk about the church. They won't tell anybody they went to church. They won't talk about anything about what was said in the church. Uh, they are friends. They will talk about football. They'll talk about weather. They'll talk about politics. They'll talk about Trump. They'll talk about Biden. They'll talk about health. They'll talk about money. They'll talk about finances. They'll talk about China, Russia, North Korea. I mean, there's a whole list of things they talk about, but they don't talk about Christ. Amen. I know it might be uncomfortable, but it's true. We see this morning the formality, the formation, the formula. You see, these professed Christians who are really reprobates, uh, they appear Christian. They think Christian and they speak Christian. But there's just a form. Fashion. Formula, shape. Really, in their mind, they could say, you take it or you leave it. You can go or you can skip it. You can participate it or you don't have to. So they don't have very much in the way of control, but what controls them is the form of godliness. That's what controls them. They are what they are because it's what they want to look like. They want to portray to everyone on the outside that they are lovers of God. They want to make sure that everybody in the home will look at them as some Christian. It's all about facade. It's all about Halloween. It's all about wearing. It's all about saying. It's all about looking. It's all about keeping your image in some sort of Christian image. That's the church today. We're too worried about the outside of us while God's looking on the inside of us. The outside is vain. Beauty is vain. God said He don't judge from that. He judges from the inside. I don't know to you, but my heart is broken this morning. This is hard to bear. This is hard to take. This is perilous to me. I would want and I would think in all my heart's desires that every single one of you today is not a, hip, is not a hypocrite nor a reprobate. 
My heart's desire with everybody in this room would be a practicing Christian, born again of the Spirit. And without a shadow of a doubt that you practice what you believe and that you go forth as a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things are past. All things become new. I would desire in my heart this morning that every single person in this room would know when you got saved. And today, you're living what you got saved. Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You say, Brother Larry, what if I find myself this morning as a professed Christian and not a practicing Christian? Won't you come get saved? Because if you keep heading that direction, you'll be a reprobate concerning the faith. And there's no hope with that. Won't you come? Won't you come this morning? Say, Brother Larry, I just lay my life down to Jesus. I've been fake. And you know if you're fake or not. I've been phony. I just go to church because my daddy tells me to go. I just do what I do because my wife tells me that that's what she wants in, my, in a husband. I just act the way I act because, you know what, I just try to keep things calm. And I like keeping peace. But you're not real. God knows you're not real. You know you're not real. You're not committed and sold out. You're you're not to the place where Jesus is all. That Jesus is everything. That my life is built upon Christ and Christ alone. That Jesus is my joy. He's my God. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's not you. But it can be you. You come. You sing, Brother George, will not belabor, will stop as God stops. You come this morning. If you're a professed Christian, a professed Christian, Sister Sophia, Sister Sophia, would you pray with her? Professed Christian. I want to be a practicing one, though. I want to be real. As you preached this morning, Brother Larry, I've seen some marks of me. I've seen some highlights of me. I'm not saying I am that, but I see I, I can go toward that. I don't want that no more. I want to be different than that. I need help of the Lord. I need God. Help me, Lord. I don't want to be that church of the last days. If you come back tonight, I'll show you what you are to be. God help. I know it has to be this way because Paul prophesied it to be this way. So I know. But yet it still is perilous. Yes, anyone. Anyone this morning.
heads are bowed and as one is praying at the altar here this morning, you, you just pray. You pray that God would continue to change the hearts of people. We don't preach this to hurt anybody. We don't preach this to, to bring a friction or bring a division. I'll preach this this morning because it's what God laid on the hearts to preach. I want to help every home. I want to help every heart. I want to help the house of God.